Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Other, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Chris. And I'm the guy that used to say that. I'm Gary. <laughs> I'm Surprise. <laughs> I'm quite pleased to I got all the words right. Oh, congratulations. I usually switch off when you say that. You did a better job. Better job than me. Thank you. It was quite good, actually. It was quite good. <laughs> so, we're back. We're back again. We've um, another... Right, actually, this is our first original versus remake threesome. Yes. So... <laughs> a menage a trois, as they'd say. We're on a freeway this week with Mystery of the Wax Museum, House of Wax 3D, and House of Wax. Yes. Three... Three very camp films. Yeah, three films. <laughs> three not bad films. There's not a bad one in the bunch. And when you have three films, that's actually quite rare. Yeah. Uh, for this podcast, anyway. Yeah, for this podcast. <laughs> we were expecting at least one bad film. Well. Let's be fair. And Yeah, and we know which one we're expecting that with. Yes. Um, so first of all, I'll give you the results of the poll, as we always do. So, this is a strange one, actually. This is this is very strange. Uh, I mean, if we're going by IMDb ratings, then we're looking at uh, 1955, 19, 1953, 1933, and then 2005. But apparently, to the people, to the people of uh, Instagram and Twitter, they believe that 2005 is the best one. I think I've said this before. Potentially, people just hadn't seen the others. Well, I mean, not a single person voted for Mystery of the Wax Museum, but we had three votes for House of Wax 3D. So, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm sure we will get to this shortly, but I'll say it now. 2005 has had a sudden resurgence for gay audiences and female audiences. Uh, like the likes of Sorority Row and Scream 4. And that same sort of following. Uh, but we'll get to that shortly. First up, let's go through some trivia. So, starting off with Mystery of the Wax Museum. It was released in 1933, directed by Michael Curtis. Would you like to tell us what he's directed? Yeah, he directed Casablanca, Mildred Pierce. Mildred Fierce. Mildred Fierce. That, which is the name of an actual drag queen. Oh, actually. nice. Yeah. So it's already taken, sorry. <laughs> Doctor X, White Christmas, Noah's Ark. He's directed a lot of films and he's an Oscar winner. Although you're, back then, all the studio directors directed a lot of films. Yeah. They directed a lot of films. Um, this this one, I don't think... I mean, we viewed it as an extra. Yeah, this is a special feature on uh, the Blu-ray release that HMV put out for the premium collection of House of Wax 3D. Um... I think I'm I'm gonna say this as a guess, but I think I'm right. I'm pretty sure it's in the public domain. Yeah. Because it's all over YouTube as well. You, yeah. You can pretty much get it anywhere. I, I I don't know what the um cutoff date is for public domain, but yeah, I would suspect it was a, a B list film from nineteen thirty three. Yeah. It's highly likely. It was made on a budget of two hundred and seventy nine thousand dollars. And it made $1.1 million at the box office. So all 3D songs were quite successful. Yeah. It's a good 
pre- I mean, obviously the premise changes for the 2005 remake. Um, but it's a good premise. Very Phantom of the Opera. It works. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd say the concept is the same for 2005. But just everything that is exe- how it's executed is completely different. Yeah. Um, wax, so for 1933, the morgue set was recycled from the Dr. X lab set. Save a bit of money there. We have Michael Curtis cutting corners. Would it be the studio cutting corners? Who released well, it? Uh, Warner Brothers released Warner all Brothers, three. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely a B-list film. Yeah. Yeah, it's a B-movie. It was actually produced before the production code. So the production code essentially is age ratings. Yes. Or things put in place for age ratings. Yeah. So, before the MPAA in America, there was the Hayes Code. um, And it was uh, Governor Hayes. uh, I don't know where he was the governor of. But he put forward that, you know, films were dirty and um, unbiblical, as they would say. And uh, it needed to... A stop needed to be put on it. And so the Hayes Code came in, which was essentially, rather than you have to be this old to watch this, it was just, you're not allowed to show this anymore. Yeah. So you're not allowed to show uh, drug addiction, sex, violence, all that business. Yeah, and where it shows with uh, Mystery of the Wax Museum is the drug addiction. Uh, One character is a drug addict. Uh, He is the assistant to the main antagonist. Um, but when it comes to 1953, he's turned into an alcoholic instead. Because mm. that's more suitable, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, real people were used for the wax figures, because uh, the wax figures would actually melt under the lighting when they tried using actual <laughs> wax figures. It's quite obvious. Oh, you see a lot of breathing and blinking. Yeah, I, I, I think knowing that fact beforehand... And then, of course, it's very obvious that they're real people. Um, sometimes I was taken out of the film because I was looking for yeah. movement and breathing and blinking. Yeah, the colour version of this film was believed to be lost until the late 60s when Jack Warner's uh, personal print was found at his home. So I think this was, yeah, this was filmed in Technicolor. Mm. Um, I assume released as black and white up until that print was found. Was it? Te- filmed in Technicolor or yeah. was it colorized? No, it's, it's filmed in Technicolor. Okay. It it was I mean, it was a bit rough, wasn't it? Yeah, I I think it's a rough print that they found. Um I don't know if the black and white versions available anywhere, but we had we had to watch the color version. Yeah, we watched the color version. Uh the shot of the uh monster well, monster I say in quote marks. Lifting up the sheet uh, is actually used in the opening credits of the 1974 musical Mame. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Do you know what shot I'm on about in the morgue? Um, the embalming one. Yeah. Where they make the joke. Oh, okay. Mame. Uh, what the hell would that be in Mame? I have no idea. Ma- Mame's um, about an eccentric aunt. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it yet. I do mean, I, I've been meaning to see that. I think I'm a bit bitter because um, it's going a little off topic. But Lucille Ball played Mame mm-hmm. in the film. But Angela Lansbury did it on Broadway. 
and won a Tony for it. It was a huge success. And they said she wasn't a big enough star to be in the film. Oh. So I'm a little bitter about that. Uh, but B. Arthur's in it, so that helps. Might have to watch it sometime. Stay tuned for our episode on Mame. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's meant to be shit, to be fair. There we go. <laughs> Um, Faye Ray recalls that working with Michael Curtis was not very pleasant. Apparently he gave the cast a hard time during production. Oh. But there's no details as to what actually happened. I think a lot of the directors back then were harsh. Yeah. Um, I I think the the studios back then would say, you know, you need to get out 15, 20 films Mm. a year. Just as a particularly with B movies, just get it out, just get it out, just get it out, just get it. We don't yeah. care. We you just make it and move on. So it was very much a business back then. Yeah. Rather, rather than doing it for the love of the art. Um, so I I could imagine that they were quite stern. It does seem to be the case that whenever we uh look at a film that's around that sort of time, other than obviously William Castle. Um, other than him, it, it does seem to be the case that they all were given hard times on the set. Yeah, yeah. I, su- I suppose when you've got studio execs and producers constantly on your back, yeah, um, that sort of filters down. And, and Faye Ray, I mean, had she been in King Kong by then? I think so, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I would have been... I think it was the same year as King Kong. may have been the same, yeah. 33, so she wasn't really a big star. So he probably was a bit of a knob to yeah. her. Because uh, she didn't really have much um, influence at that point. She pro- In fairness, she probably didn't have that much after King Kong. No. Uh, a lot of them were treated like shit. I mean, just, just look at Judy Garland. You know, she was treated awfully, awfully yeah. by the studios. So, moving on to House of Wax 3D, released in 1953, directed by Andre Detoff. Detoff? Detoff? Uh, the director of Day of the Outlaw, Play Dirty, Terror Night, and The 540. Do you have I, any of those? I ain't going to lie. I've only... Uh, is it Gunfighter? Uh, is that the James Stewart film, I think? And it's the only one I've Gunfighter. heard of. Gunfighter. Did you say Gunfighter? I didn't say Gunfighter. Was I just not listening? Maybe he did direct Gunfighter and I just haven't got it on here. Yeah, I don't think I listened to you and just... (laughs) Uh, But I haven't heard of any of those films that you just said. No. I I think he was definitely a B-movie director. I don't think... I don't think he went on to anything bigger. No, well, I mean, uh, Terror Night was in the 80s. Okay. So yeah, I yeah. think I think it was the case. Uh, the gunfighter. He he wrote the gunfighter. Wrote excuse it. me, cool. starring Gregory Peck. So I think he was known as a as a writer as well as a director. Uh, this was made on a one million dollar budget, so higher budget than the last one, and made uh, over two to two point three million. Yeah, was this uh, so not two point three? So twenty three million. It was a big success. Yeah. And these films were a big, big success at the time. Um, is this quite early for 3D? I felt... This was Warner Brothers' first 3D movie. 
So I think ever play there ever. It's far from being the first 3D movie, yeah. but Warner Brothers. It was their first. It was one. their first 3D. And um, the director was actually blind in one eye, uh, so he actually couldn't see the effect. Okay. Which I'm quite impressed, considering. I mean, we watched it in 3D, and considering he couldn't see. You know, what the effect was doing. He did a pretty great job. Oh, the, the 3D... So we watched it on a 3D Blu-ray. Um, and it looked great. Yeah. It looked. It yeah, really did. did look they good. They did a really good job. Because they... It cost Warner Brothers uh, 300000 to restore it in 3D. Uh, from, obviously, the blue and red to real D. 3D. Yeah. Um, yeah, it cost them 300000 uh, The original negative suffered water damage, so but considering they, they did a really it, good job. It looked great, it really did. Uh, the, the, there was an actual fire during the museum burning down scene from the start of the film, uh, and it singed Vince Price's... Vince Price? Vince Vincent, Price? Vincent Price. Vincent Price's eyebrows. Oh. <laughs> it um, burnt a hole in the studio roof, but it still kept filming because they didn't have the money to build new props or anything. Oh, shit. Yeah. Vinnie Price. Vinnie Price. Um, Nedrick Young, who played Leon, was uncredited because he was blacklisted during the McCarthy Red Scare era in Hollywood. Would you like to explain what that is? So, even I don't know that. So, it was sort of during the, the Cold War... Um, there was a lot of paranoia and propaganda in America about communists. Um, and particularly in Hollywood. Yeah. And McCarthy, uh, or whatever. He was a politician. I think he was a politician. This McCarthy, he was sort of spearheaded it all. Um, in, in, in a set... You could do a whole podcast going into the McCarthy era in uh, Hollywood. Um, but what became of this was a lot of blacklisting of um, writers, directors, actors, producers who were believed to be communists mm-hmm. and working for with and for the Russians. Um, and obviously when these people were blacklisted their name was dirt. They, they couldn't work. No yeah. no one wanted to work with them. Um, there's a few famous people. Um, do you remember that film, the Brian Cranston film, um, Trumbo? No, I've never It was quite recent. He was nominated for an Oscar for it, I believe. And that was about um, a writer in, in Hollywood who was blacklisted. Um, quite famously, uh, Elia Kazan... The director of On the Waterfront, um, and some great films that I've just completely uh, skipped my mind at the moment. But he, a real renowned director, he actually gave a lot of names for the blacklist. Wow! Um, so when he got his honorary Oscar, um, a lot of people refused to applaud him and and clap for him mm. because he'd you know given all these names to um, the government of mm. people he said were communists and oh. they were subsequently blacklisted. Wow. Well, that's, that's interesting because they actually changed the name of Vincent Price's character uh, from even I, Ivan Igor. Even Igor. Even Igor. Ivan Igor. However you pronounce it. 
Um, they changed it to Henry Jared to avoid uh, alienating Russian viewers. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of... Um, well, as a, well, in fairness, they must have been against the blacklist mm. because they hired someone yeah, who yeah, was on yeah. the blacklist. Um, we could, I mean, we could do a whole podcast series on this, you know, all that Cold War... Um, propaganda because the Cold War went on for decades and decades, you know. Um, yeah, very interesting subject. Mm. So Vincent Price would regularly go and see the film in cinemas. Uh, his disguise would be his 3D glasses. Uh-huh. And after a particular scary scene, he was sat behind two teenagers and he leant forward and asked if they liked it. And apparently, uh, in, in his exact words, they went right into orbit. Vincent Price comes across in everything I've ever seen him in. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and there's not much ugly, really. But everything, he really seems to be enjoying himself. Yeah. He really seems to get a kick out of what he does. And yeah. it shows on screen. And he's he's just so good at everything he does. And uh, this this is no exception. He's fantastic in it. He is. Uh, Bella Lugosi helped promote the film outside uh, Paramount Theatre. He'd go. He, he attended dressed in his Dracula cape, and uh, took a, a a man, an actor, uh, with him, chained to him, uh, in a gorilla suit. To promote the film. To promote the film. Yeah. It's got fuck all to do with the film. He <laughs> <laughs> thought he was doing his bit. Oh, there yeah. you go. Um, Phyllis Kirk didn't even want the role, uh, but she was under contract with Warner Brothers, so she had no choice but to do the role. Yeah. Uh, she didn't want to be the next Fay Ray, and, uh, she didn't like the 3D gimmick, but she ended up having loads of fun, apparently. Yeah, there was a lot of typecasting <coughs> back then, um, and, yeah, being, I mean, they were all contract, uh, contractually obligated, to do a lot of what they had to do. Apparently she has no fond memories of working with Charles Bronson. Who the fuck was Charles Bronson in this film? I See, that's what I was thinking, but apparently Charles Bronson is in this film. Who the fuck did he play? Um, you might have to IMDb it. I, I, I have no idea, but apparently he's in this film. He certainly didn't look um, like Charles she Bronson. She has no fond memories of working with him. Igor. Oh, wow. That's Charles Bronson. Wow. Okay. I didn't even recognise him. I had absolutely no idea. Uh, Vincent, um, I've told you about his character's Jeez, name how changing. How old was he? I have no idea. He would have been 30, 32. Oh. This was Warner Brothers' biggest success story since Life with Father. Have you heard of that? No. And apparently that was their biggest success story prior to House of Wax. The problem is, back then, they churned out so many films... You know, I mm. I'd like to think that I'm a classic Hollywood fan, but they churned out so many films so quickly. There's just, I mean, a lot of them haven't survived through time. No. Um, a lot of them haven't reached DVD or Blu-ray, um, because there's just so many of them, and a lot of them I even I've never never heard of, and I would consider myself a classic Hollywood fan. 
I didn't, do you know what? I didn't even know Mystery of the House, uh, Mystery of the House of Wax, Mystery of the Wax Museum, I didn't even know that existed until I got the Blu-ray. Yeah. I, did, I didn't know House of Wax was a remake no. of that. No, I just assumed it was House of Wax, House of Wax. Uh, Warner Brothers actually tried creating a TV series uh, after the success of this. They filmed the pilot, but it was rejected because it was too intense for TV and was later released as Chamber of Horrors. No. So, How yeah. do you make a TV? Okay. Let's not get into that. <laughs> so, bring it up to date. 2005, House of Wax, directed by Jean Colette Serra. I absolutely pronounced that wrong. I know I did. Director of Goal 2, The Dream. Do you, do you remember the Goal films? Goal? Goal. Obviously, Gold. The, the, uh, the, oh, the football films. The football films with... Um, oh, what's her name? Oh, what is her name? Uh, it'll come to me. I'll, I'll be back. Apparently, David Beckham was... I think, like, the first one had loads of famous footballers in it. Anna Frail. Anna Frail, there yeah. we go. She was in everything in the mid-2000s. <laughs> um, Orphan, he directed that. That's a really good film. From the 2000s. Mm. The Shallows, that's a great film. Uh, and then, he directed a batch of post-taken Liam Neeson action films. He directed oh. Non-Stop, Unknown, Run All Night, and the uh, the one that begins with C. The, the com- Commuter. That's the one. I remember that. Um, yeah. Which is weird, because on one hand, he's this horror director who's fully capable of making a decent horror film, but then on the other hand, he's uh, going off making generic action films with Liam Neeson. I got the feeling that he... Um, directed a lot of um, music videos before. It's that, yeah, but it's that 2000s feeling, isn't it? Every yeah. horror film in the 2000s felt like a fucking music video. Yeah, and it felt, but it felt like the person directing it couldn't not direct a music video. Yeah. You know, because David Fincher directed music videos, yeah. but his films don't feel like an extended music video. If you know what I mean. Music videos have a, a very distinctive style. Um, David Fincher managed to go into a movie director. Yeah. Um, whereas this felt like one long music... Or particular scenes felt like music videos. Yeah. It was made on a $40 million budget and made uh, over $68 million at the box office. So I remember this being released... Um, and I did mention this on last week's episode, but just in case you didn't listen to it, I remember Sky promoting it as Paris Hilton's film comes out next month, you've got time to leave the country before then. Um, there was a big thing around this film. It was, you know, you weren't cool if you liked it. If you liked this film, you had a terrible taste in films. Everyone despised it. I mean hated yeah. this film like it, if you honestly you told someone that you like this film they would probably call you a piece of shit it, it was hated the only thing anyone remembers about this film let's Paris be perfectly Hilton. honest is that Paris Hilton yeah. was in it yeah and Paris Hilton had a death scene spoiler alert Paris Hilton was in this horror film and she died people disliked Paris Hilton. Yeah. A, a lot of people thoroughly disliked Paris Hilton because they thought she was the epitome of 
what was wrong with celebrity culture at the time. Yeah. And to a certain extent, I was absolutely one of them. Mm. You know, I didn't want to watch this film. Yeah. You know, I was a bit of a snob about it because I was like, Paris Hilton is the epitome of everything that's wrong with celebrity culture at that time. Yeah. You know, now I look back and I think (laughs) it's all just a bit of a joke, really. And, And I think Paris Hilton was in on the joke because she made a lot of money from, you know... She's very much like Kim Kardashian, isn't she? You, you've got to have a strong business brain to make as much money as yeah. you can out of having very little talent. <laughs> so that's a talent in itself, mm-hmm. you know. And she was a brand and um, people fucking hated her for it. Really, really hated her for it. Well, this is where the director shot himself in the foot critically. I mean, it made money, mm. but critically, this is where he shot himself in the foot. Because he wasn't even going to make House of Wax. He was going to make a horror film with Paris Hilton. She agreed to it. He cast her, and the film was built around that. So why the fuck would you do that with someone who was so hated at that time? But man, a lot of people loved her. And Not as many people. But just her it, it being in the film mm. gave it so much publicity. Oh, yeah. At the end yeah. of the day, you know, when somebody makes a film and puts it out there, it's not it's not like a bad meal in a restaurant. Mm. You can't send it back. Yeah. You don't get a refund. Yeah. People went to see this film, and I would say a good percentage of the people who went to see this film went to see it because they thought it would be a car crash. Yeah. And that's why they went to see it. They went to see it so they could watch it and tell everyone how shit of an actress Paris Hilton was. And the crazy thing is, the people that didn't watch it will still tell you it's a car crash because they assume it is because Paris Hilton's in it. When in reality, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And she's barely in the she's fucking She's barely thing. in it. She's barely in yeah. it. Yeah, when she's on screen, she can't fucking act. No. And it, it stands out. But neither can the rest of the cast. A lot of the other ca- the rest of the cast struggle as well. Let's be fair. Yeah. And at the end of the day, as the director, you know, he's doing a House of Wax remake. It ain't Oscar bait. No. You might as well have Paris Hilton in there and say, yeah. come on, mate. You know, let's get this extra. Yeah. She was selling fucking t-shirts, weren't she? Yes, yeah, she was, yeah. That, so, that said, come watch Paris Hilton die on screen. Yeah, she sold t-shirts that said... Uh, <laughs> where is that? I've got the exact quote here. Um, so it said, on May 6th, watch Paris die. And apparently, in they sent a few... Um, People out to watch in theatres and stuff when it was released. And every time Paris Hilton died, the audience would always cheer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And it's a pretty good death scene, to be fair, though. And my thoughts on this film, what I said to you earlier, is I don't agree with the critiques from when it was first released. At all. I don't, I don't agree that it's absolute garbage. But I also don't agree with this new resurgence uh, of, of of people similar to ourselves who are treating it like it's a fucking masterpiece. It's got camp value. Yes. 
But only once you get to the second half. Oh my god, the first if half. The whole, if, yeah, if the whole film was like the second half, I'd understand. But you've got people out there giving it five stars now. Like, you really need to reevaluate yeah. that. No. To, 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 I, I mean, it wouldn't. It wouldn't on the poll. Yeah. You know? From but, a lo- yeah, also, from a, I don't a large think, margin. Yeah. But I don't think a lot of people saw House of Wax, the Vincent Price. Because they are two completely different yes. films. Let's be honest here. There, there is not a lot that actually um, syncs up between the two. There's, there's no connection, no, really. No, the, the title and the setting is the only connection. Yeah. Yeah, and everything else is completely different. Yeah. Um, there was a Supernatural episode set in a house of wax with oh. Paris Hilton. And, of course, Jared Padalecki is one of the lead stars of Supernatural. Nice. He's in this. That's funny. Bef- um, back in the day when he couldn't act. Yeah, back in the day when he was the first one killed. <laughs> he was he was always great in Supernatural. And he was really good in the Friday the 13th remake. But I don't know what happened to him here. He, he was just constantly trying to talk like he was a proper bro type guy, but that's not him. That has never been him. I never watched Supernatural. Is it still going? Uh, it's just finished. Has he this year. changed his hair? No. no. Of course he hasn't. What? <laughs> it's been 15 years. Why the fuck would Jared Padalecki change his hair? <laughs> um, he's one foot taller than Alicia Cuthbert, the uh, lead actress in this. Uh, so she wore two inch blocks of wood on her shoes. Jesus Christ. So she could be as tall as him. Why? Why does she have to be as tall as him? <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, the soundstage being used for testing the special effects burned down from uh, an unattended candle. Oh, God. And uh, one crew member had burns on his arm, but that was the only damage, other than obviously, you know, the soundstage. Uh, so that's two of these films that had accidents. Yeah. You've got to stop doing this burning down wax thing. Uh, nominated <laughs> nominated for Worst Picture and Worst Remake or Sequel at the Razzies and Paris Hilton won Worst Supporting Actress at the Razzies. Of course. And she... She like won before... Yeah, yeah. She won before this film was even released. Let's yeah. face it. Yeah. Because it's, it's... Sometimes it's good publicity for the Razzies... Yes. ...to give these awards to famous people. Let, mm-hmm. Let's be honest... And I, I, I find the Razzies quite funny, you know, the majority of the time. Um, but I, I do think it's a bit harsh. People would actually ask um, Paris Hilton if the scene where Dalton is filming her against her will was a nod to her infamous sex tape. Absolutely. There was no doubt in my mind. And apparently she said if it was, it wasn't her choice. It was already in the script. Okay. Yeah, and it's a film built sh- around Paris Hilton. Yeah, yeah. There's abs- There's absolutely no way that's not a nod to her infamous tape, and it it was um, filmed. It was it was filmed in, is it night? What do you call it? Night, night vision. vision. Night vision as well. There is absolutely no way that it wasn't uh, planned that way. Uh, one thing. Can I just? Uh, so Paris Hilton won. Uh, worst Supporting Actress at the Razzies. Would you like to know who she was nominated Ooh, with? Oh, I would. Uh, Katie Holmes for Batman Begins. What? Katie Holmes was in the news a lot at that time, wasn't oh, she? Okay. The whole Tom Cruise thing. Right. Jessica Simpson in The Dukes of Hazzard. How the fuck <laughs> did she not win that? Carmen Electra in Dirty Love. 
And a real surprise to me, because I never knew she was in a film, Ashley Simpson in Undiscovered. Okay, we need to watch that. <laughs> we need to watch But seriously, how did Jessica Simpson not win that? That Dukes of Hazard film was terrible. Oh, I never watched oh, it. Oh, so bad. I was never a fan of Jessica Simpson, if I'm being honest. I, I just watched it out of curiosity and I regretted it. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow, that's shocking. <laughs> A lot of the uh, the wax melting scenes actually used peanut butter for the wax. Once you said it, mm. I noticed it. Yeah. 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 Um, and I hate peanut butter, so it made me feel a little bit sick. <laughs> so, on to the synopsis uh, section of the episode. I will start with Mystery of the Wax Museum. Uh, that starts in London 1921, where we are introduced to a wax museum. Two people are visiting and they're uh, basically getting a boner over the wax museum. They think it's great. Uh, and they want to submit the owner of the wax museum for an award. Don't know. They're really pleased with what they're seeing. They're <laughs> very pleased. Very pleased. <laughs> you can see the boners. It's good job it's not in 3D. This, this, this one, one isn't in 3D. Um, <laughs> Definitely before the Hays Code. <laughs> a shady man with a cigar watched in the background. Uh, and then he enters the museum. And he's there to collect some money for insurance. So he has... Uh, and a plan, he has a plan in mind for an insurance job. But he's also doing benefit fraud as well, sneaky bastard. He sets fire. Benefit <laughs> He sets fire and has a scrap with the owner of the Wax Museum, who is uh, Ivan Igor. Is it Ivan Igor? Ivan Igor. I'm calling him Igor from now on. So he has a scrap with him and uh, the place burns down. He leaves him there for dead and we go to New York in 1933 where a corpse is taken to a morgue. The corpse gets up, um, but it's just the embalm... Embalm... Wow, it's gone midnight, can you tell? <laughs> embalming fluid. Uh, that did this apparently, but no. It's actually a burn victim uh, who steals... It starts checking bodies and steals one. So, uh, <laughs> we're introduced to possibly the greatest character in cinematic history, Florence... Florence, can we just go back to sorry the morgue? Yeah. So when the uh, embalmed um, body rises up, it's pushed back down. Yeah. And the the morgue guys have a bit of a joke and say, "Oh, typical woman always has to have the last word." Yes. Uh, of nice. course. <laughs> Thank you, 1933. Thank you, 1953. 1953. And 1953. So they do repeat the same joke. So they do repeat the same scene in 1953. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we're, we're introduced to Florence, and she, she goes up to uh, someone in an office. Uh, she's a journalist. And she says, hey, sweetheart, how's your sex life? <laughs> she, <laughs> she is really uh, one of a kind. I've never seen a character like this. So do you think Tommy Wiseau watched this film I think before so. writing the room? Yeah, mm. I think so. Florence, I think, may have been the inspiration for Gail Weathers in Scream. Um, because I, I don't know who my favourite reporter is now. Um, it's one of the two. So a cop tells Florence that uh, Joan, who is a, a woman who recently committed suicide... And uh, looks very much like Joan of Arc. Um, may have been murdered rather than committed suicide. So she's really excited about this. Uh, she's struggling for a story, isn't she? She Back is. To lose a job. She is 
please. I don't think anyone's been so happy about someone dying. Um, and so, you know, she gets underway with her investigation. Everyone at the morgue realises the corpse is gone. And Florence is even more excited by this. It's real juicy story now. She's getting all the tea. Florence questions uh, a suspect. And the London Wax Museum is having its grand opening. Uh, even Igor has had Joan's corpse shipped in for the wax figure. So, basically, we find out I mean, relatively early on, he's using corpses for wax figures, which is the premise beneath all three of these films. Mm-hmm. Um, so, after this, Charlotte, who is uh, Florence's sister or friend? Is she? I think she's just a friend. Yeah, I mean, if we're judging by the 1953 version, she, she'll be a friend. Mm. Um, so she's getting ready to go and see her man. Uh, her man being... Uh, what was his name again? Uh, Ralph. Good old Ralph. Back back when it was normal to, for a young person to be called Ralph. Um, <laughs> Coming from a Gary. Well, I'm not young, am I? Let's face it. <laughs> um... So she, uh, yeah, she's going to see Ralph, and uh, Florence has given her some advice. She doesn't think she should go for it because he's not rich. She loves a man with a big dick and lots of money. Apparently, she doesn't say big dick. That's what she it meant. It was before Hayes coat, but <laughs> she didn't say big dick. Um, Florence notices something strange in the wax museum when she goes to visit, doesn't she? What does she notice? She noticed that Joan is Joan. And uh, Igor envisions... <laughs> e- Igor has a bit of a fantasy when he sees Charlotte. He pictures her as uh, Marie Antoinette. Uh, and he wants her for uh, to model for it. And as they're leaving, Florence, being uh, the best character in the world that she is, uh, walks past Igor and says, So long, pup. See you in jail. <laughs> <laughs> the, the funny thing is, is... Um... So, obviously, these characters look exactly like the waxworks that were were melted. Um, Of course they do, because they got the actors to stand still for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's just Florence, you know, I mean, (laughs) she's not even subtle about it. She tells us she'll see him in jail. See you in jail. He doesn't even react. No, he doesn't, actually. Um, I think he would have noticed. She goes and tells the boss about about Joan. Um, Igor shows people around on opening night. Florence spies on on the corpse stealer. And she tells the police that uh, the corpse stealer made Frankenstein look like a lily. I mean, rookie mistake there, Florence. It's Frankenstein's monster, but we'll let you off because you're Florence. Yeah. And uh, she also said after this, oh, what I wouldn't give for a slug of gin. Girl after my own heart. Um, so <laughs> she goes and has uh, does some investigating. She finds booze instead of a corpse. And she takes the booze. <laughs> she does. She doesn't have the booze. Um, <laughs> the, corp, uh, the, the corpse stealer is arrested. Was it, is it a corpse stealer or is it his assistant, isn't it? Yes. His assistant, assistant is arrested, his meth, meth addict uh, assistant. <laughs> yeah. Um, Charlotte goes to see Ralphie and uh, gets locked in a basement. Uh, Igor starts acting like a creep and uh, Florence starts comparing uh, pictures with the wax figures. Uh, the junkie corpse stealer confesses to the police 
uh, junkie assistant, sorry, confesses to the police uh, everything because, you know, they're waving meth in front of his face. <laughs> that is the weird part. <laughs> But come on, you know you want a bit. So just say yes. In the nineteen fifty three version, it's alcohol. It's it's understandable, you know. They legally are allowed to give alcohol, but they're just like wafting this heroin. It's like, do you wanna? <laughs> yeah, go on, have some. Go on, do drugs. Do Don't be a loser. Smack. You'll be a cool kid. Go on. <laughs> Uh, Charlotte punches the wax off of uh, Igor's face, so he's he's his face is made of wax, and he's the burn victim underneath. Shock. Uh, Shock. Igor and Charlotte's Ralph have a scrap, and uh, the police shoot Igor into the wax tub. Florence is a hero, and she gets engaged to her manager within the closing minutes. Yeah, it's a weird. <laughs> it's a weird thing because she's being. Um, so she helps this guy who was in for Joan's murder yeah. out of prison because she's solving the actual uh, murder. Um, and she's they're getting on really well and they're having a bit of a relationship. And just at the end of the film, she's like her and her, her boss get engaged when they've been bickering throughout the whole film. <laughs> it's like, oh, why don't you just run away with me and get engaged. And she looks out the window and the guy she's been dating waves up. He's there to collect her. She turns around to her boss and says, yeah, why don't we do it, kid? <laughs> and they just end on a kiss. And I'm like, that's a bit harsh. It's not, it's not like the guy was an arsehole. Like you've done nothing but argue and bicker with this dude for the whole film. And then you ditch and actually a nice rich guy. She wanted a rich guy. He was rich. At the end of the film, for this guy that she's been <laughs> bickering with. And this is by someone who's fully capable of, you know, making a great romantic film. Look, Casablanca's one of the greatest romance films of all time. Um, <laughs> and he's just decided to throw a little bit of romance in at the end. There's a plot twist. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I'm I... glad they did it, because yeah. it's hilarious, but... It adds to the fact that this film is more of a comedy than it is a horror film. It's an, it's a weird one because it's not really a horror film. No. It's kind of more of a... Well, I would say murder mystery, but there's no mystery to it. But she's <laughs> trying to solve it. So it's a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a detective story. Um, she gives me a bit of the Jessica Fletchers, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But also it's... Very much a screwball comedy in parts. Yes. Yeah. It's um, kind of like The Thin Man. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it's, it's Bringing Up Baby, tone. And, which was popular at the at the time. Yeah. Um, screwball comedies. But it's weird that they tried to incorporate that into a horror film. Yeah, but she has some wonderful... And I love oh. the classic Hollywood comedy one-liners. Um, you know, I, I, I love His Girl Friday... Uh, of course, bringing up baby. Uh, it happened one night. All those sort of um, comedies are fantastic, but it just feels like maybe a smidge out of place yeah. in um, a horror film. Uh, I could watch an entire film just devoted to her going around being a detective. Yeah, like, yeah, that'd be amazing. Great. She's so funny. So, have you got a synopsis for House of Wax three D? I certainly do. So, uh, in nineteen fifty three. 
We had a, a remake of the mystery of uh, the Wax Museum. Uh, House of Wax 3D, or as I like to call it, Wax Presents House of Wax. Wow. Well, very good. That well, better be the title. like what you did there. Like, <laughs> um, so we're introduced to the Wax Museum again, including Marie Antoinette and Joan of Arc. So just as uh, it, it's quite similar in plot yeah. to the original. Uh, Professor Henry Jarrod, played by the legend Vincent Price, is the chief sculptor and part owner of the museum. Henry's business partner, Matthew, wants out. And Sidney Wallace may be swayed to buy him out. He's a local businessman, this Sidney. Sidney is shown around the Max, uh, Wax Museum, but doesn't give a definitive answer straight away because he's got to go to Cairo for three months. Uh, Matthew isn't having any of that and suggests an insurance scam because he wants his money straight away. And uh, like the first one, the insurance scam would be setting the place on fire. Matthew begins to set the fire straight away. He gets straight yeah. to it, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And uh, a fight ensues between Henry and Matthew. Henry is knocked out during the brawl and left to die as the fire begins to engulf the museum. Matthew escapes and Henry awakens but is trapped as the museum explodes. An outdoor dance event because I had no idea what to call it. <laughs> it's like a hoedown. I, I don't know sure what was going on. Set. It yeah, felt this didn't give you years. So it, it kind of felt it kind of felt like Victorian, but like English Victorian set in America. Um, but then some like really American. Th- so this is I want to call it. I'm going to call it hoedown. It might not be a hoedown. A posh hoedown, uh, but an outdoor dance event. <laughs> Matthew is telling uh, the story of the fire and han- and how Henry's body was never found. And uh, we we find out that he's telling this to Kathy. Yeah. Um, who he's... The poor man's Florence. Yeah, his, his beau, Kathy. Uh, fortunately for him, though, the insurer's still paid out, even though Henry's body was never discovered. At his office, Matthew is strangled by a man with severe facial burns and his insurance check is stolen. The disfigured man hangs Matthew's body from an elevator shaft to make it appear as a suicide. Kathy, Matthew, uh, Matthew's potential wife, mm. or beau as they would call it, is gossiping to her friend Sue. They're having a right laugh about it, aren't they? Yeah, but uh, she's gotten over it pretty quick. Yeah. She's actually gossiping about a potential new man in her life. He's old but rich. <laughs> Sue is skint, though, and Kathy gives her money for dinner after her job interview later on that night. Sue returns, but she didn't get the job. She can't pay her rent, and is hopeful Kathy can lend her some money after her date with the old rich man. Sue finds Kathy unresponsive in bed and sees a disfigured man in her room. Sue screams and flees out the window, across the roof and down the street, with the disfigured man following her. Sue manages to escape him at the house of a gentleman friend, Scott Andrews. The autopsy shows that Kathy was strangled with a rope after being drugged. At the morgue, the disfigured man has hidden himself as a corpse. So similar to the first film, and you get the whole embalmed yeah. joke 
Um, and the, the uh, um, women have to have the last word. And uh, he proceeds to steal Kathy's corpse, helped by two accomplices. The next day, the police are telling Sue off for not going to them sooner. Which is, it is a bit weird that she didn't, yeah. didn't tell, that she didn't think to tell them. She just assumed that whoever was still at the house would have sorted it all out. Um, <laughs> they tell her Kathy's corpse is missing and that her description of the disfigured man seems illogical. Sydney is back in town and goes to see Henry after receiving a letter from him. He's surprised to see he's still alive. Henry is planning to open a new wax museum, but his hands and legs have been severely damaged. That the only thing about Henry still being alive after he was presumed dead, it's only Sydney that seemed shocked by this. Yeah. Like the police never really try and figure it out. Sure. No, no one else is like surprised at all. Um, so with his students, Eagle and Leon, Henry is making a house of horrors, but still wishes to have Marie Antoinette as his centerpiece. In the basement, Henry shows his process of creating waxworks and asks Sydney for some investment, which Sydney agrees to. <laughs> Henry ends the visit with a waxwork of Matthew, who he pretends not to know. Then we get an intermission of 10 minutes, yeah. <laughs> which for an hour and a half film is a little strange. Yeah. But I think as, as we sort of discussed, potentially the whole idea of 3D glasses in 1953 um, may have been weird with people's eyes. People wouldn't have been used to watching a 3D film necessarily. So yeah. a 10 minute intermission would have allowed people to take the glasses off. And this is 45 minutes in, weren't it? Yeah, about yeah, f- so, so it's halfway, halfway through. It's, it is about halfway through. It's not, you know, it's not Gone with the Wind where it's a four hour film with <laughs> an intermission. So we return after our 10 minutes and outside the newly opened wax house of horrors, a loud mouth dude. <laughs> fourth wall breaking that mouth. Yeah, fourth wall breaking. <laughs> So what I didn't realise is they, they call them Barkers. Oh, name that to you. Which is my surname. <laughs> loudmouth. Loud, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Um, so this Loudmouth Barker <laughs> is uh, is playing with a, what do you call it, a bat and ball? I just call it a ping pong thing. Yeah, but it, it's a bat. So you know when it's a bat and ball, but there's a string. Yeah. An elasticated string. So bop, 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 bop. So he's playing with one of them. Um... This is a very long scene. This guy's a fucking nightmare. And Imagine going to that and that guy's just in your face with a fucking ping pong. Well, thing. clearly, the the whole idea is just the 3D. Yeah. It's <laughs> just for the 3D effect. He's like, oh, watch your popcorn there in the audience. No. So, inside the museum, Henry is uh, showing his visitors around. And this is quite a lengthy scene. Yes, but we also get three more greatest characters in cinematic history. Yes. <laughs> we get Atomic Kitten of the 50s. So Henry's showing them around. And there are these three women who are a bit, little bit of comic There's relief. There's three huns. Um, but it's, it's, he's showing them every single waxwork. Fortunately, Vincent Price plays Henry... And it's fantastic. Yeah. The, the way he describes them, obviously that voice, you know, he's just, because he's a legend, it works. If it was anyone else, it would just feel like it was going on for ages. Um, but these three women, one of them faints. <laughs> <laughs> because these ghastly, um, what, what does another one do? 
There's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a wax figure in a bath, uh, a naked male wax figure, and one of them <laughs> puts the glasses on to get a closer look at his dick. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's um, oh God, please excuse my uh, uh, pronunciation. It's Charlotte Cordray um, when she murdered Marat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they they didn't care that this is a dead guy. They wanted to see that Willie. They just wanted to see that dick in the bath. Um, <laughs> never seen where one of them says, oh, "I don't think I can take it," and another one says, "Pull yourself together, honey." <laughs> <laughs> so after everyone's been shown round the uh, exhibition, we see Matthew again uh, as one of the uh, exhibitions, don't we? Yeah. And Henry questions whether it was suicide or murder. Well, he knows he did it. Um, Sue, and Scott, Sue and Scott are there too, and Sydney greets them. He's an old friend of Scott's. We find out that Scott is a sculptor himself, and Sue is sitting for him currently. He's doing a, a bust of her, isn't he? Yes. Sue notices Joan of Arc, who looks just like Kathy. Mm. And also like Aidan Zane and from uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Also a little bit like Lisa Scott Lee at times. Okay. Of Steps fame. Henry overhears her explaining this and he tells them he used Kathy as a basis for the waxwork after seeing her photo in the paper. Henry offers Scott a job and tells, um, and tells them all how similar Sue looks to his Marie Antoinette waxwork and how he wishes for her to sit for him. I'm assuming the actress who plays Sue also did the waxwork standing there. As no, I assume so. I'm assuming so. Like the first film. So the do- the barker is still carrying on out front. <laughs> yeah. Because you need to get that 3D in again. The disfigured man has eyed up his next victim from a rooftop. And it's Sue. He creeps into her bedroom, makes uh, wakes her and she screams. He flees into the night. Uh, we don't get an extended scene of can-can dancers <laughs> on stage. <laughs> Completely pointless. Again, just to show the free. Just like Hellgate. So in the audience is Sue and Scott. And Sue is very offended by these dancers. <laughs> and um, she's horrified at the fact that they're showing their knickers constantly. Mm. We then go back to the can-can. And this is just the... Con- they have a mild conversation about what's going on. <laughs> Nothing news brought to the table. She says that she doesn't know how the can-can dancers can show their underwear in public. Well, uh, she says, I don't know how to go around showing off all their talent. <laughs> and then we go back to the can-can dancers and we get a close-up of one of their asses. In 3D. In 3D. <laughs> get a nice 3D ass. And... Uh, and uh, we get the revelation the next day at the police uh, when Sue goes to the police and tells her that she's suspicious of this um, Joan of Arc waxwork yes. uh, because Kathy had one only one of her ears pierced. And this waxwork also only has one of its ears pierced, which is a strange coincidence. Sue goes to the museum to investigate for herself and Henry catches her touching Joan of Arc. That sounds a bit rude. Um, Touching Aiden Zane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is when she looked like Aiden Zane. And then Henry 
and his students show Sue a waxwork of her head in a box <laughs> that Scott's helped them to make. Yeah. Henry needs the real thing, though, uh, to make his Marie Antoinette truly real. The police are at the museum, too, and they suspect some of the waxworks look like real people as well. So real um, murder victims. Um, they're also suspicious of Henry's student, Leon, who could have been a convicted criminal. They recognise his face, uh, even with a big bushy beard. So the police interrogate Leon and find a watch belonging to a murder victim that they'd seen as a waxwork mm-hmm. at the museum. Sue arrives at the wax museum alone to meet Scott, but Henry has sent him on an errand. It's dark and Sue is suspicious, and the creepy waxwork has waxworks have put her on edge. Sue reaches Joan of Arc and realises she's wearing a wig, revealing Kathy's hair underneath. Mm-hmm. So she snatches, snatches that, that wig. Snatches that wig, and there's Kathy's blonde hair underneath. Henry appears, rises from his wheelchair, so he never needed the wheelchair. But, but I told you, benefit fraud. Yeah. And uh, corners Sue. She starts punching him on the chest. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> you can actually have a punch to the face. <laughs> Women don't do that. There's just a little punch to the chest. And his face falls off. Well, Faye Ray did a punch to the face in the original. Yeah, well, that yeah, it was before the Hayes Code. Hayes Code. Women didn't act like that after nine, after the Hayes Code. Um, but his face falls off, uh, revealing him to be the disfigured man. Sue faints, and Henry prepares to um, encase her in wax. Leon confesses all to the police for a drink. So they have a bottle of scotch in mm-hmm. front of him. And uh, if he confesses, he gets uh, a drink of whiskey. And they rush to the wax museum. At the museum, Sue has been strapped to the table without any of her clothes on. We don't see any of that. We just see bare shoulders and bare feet, don't we? Yeah. But we're led to assume that she's completely naked. Um, and she awakens and starts screaming. Scott returns, hear, hears her screams and fights uh, Igor to save her. Igor wins the fight. <laughs> knocks Scott out and prepares to kill him by a guillotine. The police arrive just in time to save Scott. The police interrupt Henry too, and after some fighting, Henry is knocked into a vat of boiling wax. Sue is saved too, and a coat is used to save her modesty. (laughs) (laughs) One of the police officers drapes his coat over her. In the police's office... A few jokes, some really insensitive jokes are made, um, are cracked, and Sue thanks the police officer for covering her up. Yeah. And then we get one last joke. Igor's wax head is thrust towards the screen in one last bit of 3D. Oh, this looks like the real thing. Oh. (laughs) And uh, add a beard to this, and this is what he'll look like in prison or, or whatever the joke was. It wasn't particularly funny, if I'm being honest. And that was Waxwork 3D. Waxworks 3D, yeah. Well, no, not House of Wax 3D. <laughs> Fucking hell. And then we're brought up to 2005, and it's a Dark Castle film, which we discussed previously on the podcast. Uh, the production company that was made in homage to William Castle. Mm. Uh, and uh, we are in a dirty kitchen where two kids uh, are in there. One is nice and quiet, 
not bothering anyone. The other's a little shit and just won't stop fucking playing up. So they're strapping him to a chair. And we get a title card. And then we're introduced to our main characters. We've got all the stereotypes there. We've got the nice guy with his nice girlfriend. Her douchey brother who's just got out of prison. His creepy friend with a camera. Uh, the dumb blonde. I wonder who that is. <laughs> and her boyfriend, the jock. And they're all on their way to a football game. And uh, whilst they're on the way, Paige, played by Paris Hilton, gives her boyfriend a blowjob in the car and gets filmed doing it. Uh, but she makes out she was just doing the lipstick or lip gloss, whatever it was. Uh, we find out that Paige might be pregnant. And they set up camp in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we get a bit of exposition that Carly and Nick are twins. Uh, that'll come in handy later on. And... Uh, <laughs> Do you know what won't come in handy later on? What? Uh, Paige's maybe pregnancy. I know, yeah. Completely pointless. And a bit of depth to her, to her death. You know. Why bother? Um, and uh, there's a bit of tension between Carly and Nick. Uh, there's, there's some sort of past incident between them, but it's never brought up again. Uh, a truck pulls up and, and someone's in there staring at everyone. Uh, Nick throws something at the uh, headlights and knocks one of them out. And it drives off. Uh, someone is filming them all on Dalton's camera. And uh, the next day, uh, well, that same night, Carly hears something and investigates and gets a fake jump scare from her boyfriend. But the next day, Dalton's camera is missing. and Carly's having a piss and then she falls in the woods and then she falls into a pile of dead animals. She does, yeah. Um, there's, <laughs> she does. There's, a, there's a human hand in the pile. And uh, we get Charles Manson from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, playing a character that's only known as Roadkill Driver. Uh, he arrives, his typical backwards uh, redneck guy, uh, and he pulls the fake hand out and he says he found it the other day. Uh, they've had some car troubles. Uh, they need a 15-inch something, apparently, don't know. Oh, yeah. Um, to start a car. I don't know, car terminology, whatever. Um, so, this... Uh, Wrote about. Yeah, that thing. The roadkill driver wants to give them a lift into uh, a town nearby to get what they need. Uh, Nick, who is played by uh, 2000's heartthrob uh, Chad Michael Murray. Yes. He... They make a point of showing him to take his vest off. Yes. Uh, to give to his sister. Uh, and then she becomes every 2000s female horror character and has a vest. <laughs> but then he manages to find clothes to put on Yeah, again. It's not like he's topless for the rest of the film. So why did she not bring spare clothes? Oh, uh, yeah. So um, she and Wade go with uh, the roadkill driver to go and uh, get what they need. The roadkill driver starts acting all sketchy. He gets a knife out and is like, ooh, in the car. And they're like, no, do you know what? Fuck off, we're walking. So they get out, um, they walk into the ghost town, and the others head to the football, but then they're like, do you know what, this traffic's ridiculous, we're going back. So they uh, they continue walking through the town, uh, Wade and Carly, and they walk into a funeral. Really rude of them. And uh, a guy comes out, this guy's called Bo, and he's really pissed off that he walks into his funeral. But then he decides to help him, and Wade gets a little jealous because he thinks that means that Bo fancies Carly. Uh, someone with long hair is making wax figures. We don't get to see their face. 
and we're shown the house of wax and it's made of wax. So Wade and Carly have a nose around. Uh, they notice there's no one famous in there. Uh, there's some newspapers hanging up on the wall about the owners having kids. Oh, it's a good job that's there, isn't it? How else would we know what's about to happen? Um, they find high chairs and someone's watching them. What state is this set in? Uh, Florida, but it's filmed in Australia. Okay. But Florida can get very hot, can't it? Yeah. So surely that house actually made of wax wouldn't have like lasted. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, but yeah, someone's watching them, and uh, Wade bangs the window, gives them a fake jump scare. Carly proceeds to knock a wax figure over and run out saying how scared she is, and she's the one knocking things over. Uh, Nick and Dalton uh, are sent to collect the others because Blake and Paige want to get it on, don't they? Yes. Uh, Wade is really upset because Bo doesn't have 15 inches. He hasn't got the 15, he hasn't got the 15 inch inches that he needed. That he needed. Yeah. So Bo offers to take them to his house for his 15 inches. Stop. Uh, Carly waits in the car while Wade goes and gets it. Well, he goes to have a piss uh, and then starts to have a snoop around. And I said whilst we were watching, I would never do that in someone's house. No, it's so if rude. I said, can I use your back? I may, like, if, if the door's open, have a little look. Um, but he's proper snooping around. And... You know, if somebody came into my house and said, can I use the loo? I'd be like, yes, of course. And start, and they were taking their time. I'd just assume they were having a big poo. Yeah. Which isn't very good. That's not good etiquette. Well, I mean, it is Someone good. It's better laying it out than keeping it in, isn't it? What do you mean it isn't good? Not someone you've just met. Well, having a massive shit and in you're having, And you're having a number two. <laughs> Depends how desperate. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, so he, he's having a snoop around, uh, being more nosy than he should be. Um, and after this, uh, Carly realises that the truck is the one from the night before. Because she looks and the headlight has been smashed. Um, meanwhile, Wade finds some medical gear, a bit of exposition, and he gets the back of his foot cut with scissors. Big scissors. Like, garden shear size. Yeah, it's quite a good effect, actually. Yeah, this is when the film starts getting good. Yeah. Um, he gets stabbed with a scissors and gets kicked in the face. Uh, Carly locks the door on Bo. He tries dragging her out of his truck. Uh, she manages to escape. She she notices that it's his yeah. truck, which was the one being creepy the night yeah, before. that's what I said. Oh, was it? Yeah, thanks oh. for paying attention. Sorry. <laughs> Um, the killer, who we find out his name is Vincent, uh, drags Wade to his lair, uh, undresses him in a very homoerotic scene with scissors. Uh, he undresses him. It's a bit like Jason goes to Hal, the whole shaving scene. Uh, oh, yeah. And then he decides to wax him up, turn him into a wax figure. <laughs> well, waxes his face, like eyebrows off as yeah. well, doesn't he? Um, covers him in wax. and crack. Yeah. Carly figures out that everybody is made of wax in the church and the funeral uh, is for Bo's mum. And uh, so she hides under a vicar's skirt thing. Whatever, yeah. Whatever it's uh, yeah, it's... it's oh, I don't know. I suppose it's like a dress. 
Yeah. She she hides it. underneath there, but eventually Bo finds her, captures her, and straps her to a chair, uh, places some Marilyn Manson. Uh, whilst Nick and Dalton arrive and uh, decide to split up, and Bo uh, glues Carly's mouth shut. Uh, it just gets a lot. It just gets more brutal as it goes on from this point. Um, Nick questions Bo, and Carly manages to get out of the uh, restraints. Sticks a finger up um, from a like. What would you call that? What? The, when she sticks a finger up, out of the ground. Oh, I can't remember. Like it looks, looks, looks like a drain. Yeah, like a grate. Yeah. Great. Yeah, there we go. A grate. So she sticks it. a sticks a finger up through there and gets it cut off, um, by Bo. And uh, and as Nick is questioning him some more, she opens her mouth, removes the glue, and screams. Nick locks uh, Bo out of the gas station as he goes to save his sister, and Dalton goes to the house of wax. And finds Wax Wade, who looks fuck all like Jared Padalecki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like him. Um, so Dalton, it's like it doesn't really register with him. He's like, oh, you okay? He's like, oh, let me help you out. And he pulls his cheek off. He's like, oh, sorry. And then uh, Vincent comes out of nowhere, cuts the rest of, uh, of uh, Wade's cheek off. And uh, he decapitates Dalton. Yeah. So Dalton, I don't know why he wasn't just a stoner. If you're going to make him yeah. like one, just make him a stoner. To be honest, I got that he was maybe a little gay. Okay. And he maybe had a thing for um, Chad Michael Murray. Mm. They did make quite a few gay jokes at the beginning, didn't Yeah, they? towards him, especially. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he gets decapitated. And Nick and Carly uh, find a Deirdre Barlow waxwork in the window. <laughs> whilst Blake and Paige get it on. Uh, but someone turns their music off. So Blake's not having this. So he goes over to turn it back on. He finds there's a voicemail on his phone. And the voicemail is of Carly being attacked. We cut away. Paige uh, has a little intruder, which is Vincent. She finds... Uh, Blake dead on the well, nearly dead on the floor with a knife sticking out of his neck, and this film doesn't like showing you off-screen death. So even though it could have been an off-screen death, he still gets killed in yeah. front of us. Yeah. He, he still gets uh, the the knife like kicked into him. Stamped, yeah, stamps on the knife. Uh, Paige gets a knife through the foot, and uh, and she knocks a bit of wax off of uh, the killer's face. Yeah, she shakes off the whole stabbed foot quite yeah. easy, doesn't she? Uh, but then she gets a pole through the head, and that's Paris Hilton gone. And that's that was quite a good death scene, to be fair. Um, well done. Nick and Carly get shot at by um, by Bo, so they go and hide in a cinema that is showing the absolute classic "Whatever Happened to Baby Jane," and what scene are they showing? I've written a letter to Daddy. Yes. <laughs> Um, this is the first, when I watched this back in the day, that's the first I'd ever heard of that film. Um, which is probably a bad thing to admit. So, uh, yeah, so they're hiding in a screen of whatever happened to baby Jane. Uh, and Nick shoots Bo with a crossbow. Bo with a crossbow. Wow, great. 
Um, Nick and Carly go to Bo's house and they find some newspaper exposition revealing that Bo and Vincent were Siamese twins. <gasps> and that's what all the medical equipment was there for, just in case you're stupid. Because, I mean, you know, remakes in the 2000s treat us like we're stupid, so... So, yes, we find out. Um, and then Carly's hiding underneath a pool table and she listens to Bo speaking to Vincent about how they had a plan to make a town of wax uh, rather than just a house of wax. And they only need Nick and Carly to complete it. That's the sequel. Yes. Town of wax. Uh, Nick finds Dalton being covered in wax, accidentally pulls his head off. Um, and they have a fight with Vincent set the place on fire, they run past the high chairs and realise that Bo was in fact the naughty child from the start of the film, not Vincent. Mm. And uh, and then Carly beats Bo to death with a baseball bat. The place is burning down. Uh, Vincent gets stabbed and falls through the uh, ceiling. They escape. The house of wax burns to the ground. And uh, as they're going away in the ambulance, they couldn't resist but to add one more twist. And a cop is told that the parents of Bo and Vincent didn't just have two kids, they had three. <gasps> and who do we think the third is? It is, of course, Charles Manson from earlier in the film. And then we, as the film ends, we are played Helena by My Chemical Romance. Oh, God. I didn't think that song was that old. Jesus. Um. Yeah, that song got big, like... Two months before the film was released. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the, the soundtrack is full of uh, everything you'd expect to hear in a 2005 horror film. Yeah, I thought... Uh, it, I thought they were a little more recognisable. Because you had, like, Prayer by Disturbed, mm-hmm. My Chemical Romance, Marilyn Manson. You don't usually get actual bands I've heard of. Yeah. <laughs> like, continuously through the film. That's what you get when Warner Brothers there make it. There we go. <laughs> They're all blatantly signed to Warner Brothers at the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, of course, yes. So, cinematography scares, special effects and soundtrack. Let's start with Mystery of the Wax Museum. It's not a lot to it, really. Not really. Um, I mean, the soundtrack sounds like every other soundtrack from around that time. Let, let's be honest, it's a B-movie from 1933. Yeah. You know, the effects aren't going to be the best by today's standards. Uh, the soundtrack, I don't think at that time they really put that much effort no. into soundtrack in those kind of films. It's not memorable. No, I mean, the makeup for uh, Igor wasn't awful. It was good. You've got to think, you know, this is, Jesus, um, best part of 90 years yeah. old, this yeah. film. You've you got to give credit where it's due. For the time, pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah, and I like the set designs. The whole House of Wax looked great. Yeah. Um, House of Wax... Uh, well, well, Scares. What do you think for Scares? For... It wasn't really there. It wasn't it was, really It was more many. of a comedy. It was, actually. In most, it, was, it was barely a horror film, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, whereas House of Wax 3D emphasises a lot more on the horror. And, mm. you know, it has its creepy moments. It really makes the most of the disturbing premise of the fact that he's using corpse as wax figures. Yeah. Um, while still rem- having that camp value from the original as well. 
Yeah. Um, the cinematography was fantastic. I thought, you know, some of the foggy scenes and uh, in the streets at night, the, the lighting and everything. Oh, it looked great. Very atmospheric. Yeah. And it, of course, as we've already mentioned, with the 3D as well, mm-hmm. um, it, it really stood out. I, I know they put extra effort into uh, Vincent Price's makeup for when he's not got the wax on his face. Um, because of the 3Ds, they thought it'd be more obvious. Mm. And it shows. Yeah. He looks really good. It does. Um, yeah, I mean, special effects, it, I've got no complaints with it. It's aged very well. Uh, and the soundtrack's good. It doesn't really stand out, but it's good. Mm. Uh, 2005, I was actually... I've seen it a few times, but I've never really... I've never analysed it before. And I'm surprised by the minimal amount of CGI. For a film yeah. released, a horror film released in two thousand and five. I was pleased. I was pleasantly surprised. You know, you got a horror blockbuster essentially. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they they went with all practical effects, and I think that's what makes it stand out. Yeah. I think. No, absolutely. If they they were the best parts, the kills yeah. were the best yeah. part of the film. Everything else was a little by the book, you know. Yeah. It, it wasn't groundbreaking in any sense, um, but it was refreshing to see that it wasn't CGI. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, what would you say the best kill was? Best kill? Oh, Paris, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she definitely, she definitely yeah, the best Paris. one. They knew what they were doing there. Um, so, cinematography, I want... Oh, of course, soundtrack 2005, as we just yeah, discussed. Of <laughs> um, you don't get stuff like that in, in 1953 or 1933, do you? No, no Marilyn Manson in 1953. <laughs> the cinematography for 2005, it's fine. It's nothing special. It looks like a music video. Yeah. Yeah, and there are a lot of scenes that look like a music video, particularly the guy from Supernatural's death. Yeah. Uh, you know, he should have been singing yeah. throughout that. <laughs> he, he should have been. Um, so cinematography, I'm going to give it to 1953. Um, I can't imagine the 2005 version being anything but just a fun slash film. Yeah. Which isn't particularly scary. No. Uh, special effects, I'd absolutely give it to 2005. Yeah, yeah. Um, for props, sure. Props to them for that. And soundtrack, I'll probably give 2005 as well, because it was funny hearing Michael McCormick yeah. send a film. Oh, of course. <laughs> Disturbed Prayer, I loved that song back in the day. So we're on half and half at the moment. We're, we've got half for uh, 1953, half for 2005. Let's get into characters. It's hard to compare them, considering only two follow the same thing, but I have found a way to group them together. Go on then. Antagonist. So, okay. Mystery of the Wax Museum, you've got Lionel Atwell playing uh, Igor. House of Wax 3D, you've got Vincent Price playing Henry. And in 2005, you've got Brian Van Holt and Sam Harkers playing Bowen Vincent. Vincent Price. Yeah. There's, there's absolutely yeah. no doubt in my mind. Yeah, there, there wasn't really anything... I mean, I think the wax mask looked cool on in 2005. 
uh, the whole, you know, it, it looked like Michael Myers with a bit of toe on it. Yeah, long hair. It looked like Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, it looked like Tommy Wiseau. It looked like Tommy Wiseau. Um, After a botched facelift. But yeah, I mean, Lionel Atwill just... I, I, to be honest, I don't remember much about his performance. He, he was, was forgettable. Right. He wasn't in the film as much as I kind of thought he mm. would be. A lot of the emphasis was on Florence. Yeah. Her name was Florence, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. A lot of the emphasis was on Florence. Um, whereas 1953, the emphasis was on Vincent Price. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, it's Vincent Price by He's just far. done it. I, I ain't being funny. There's no there's no doubt in my yeah. mind. It was Vincent Price. It's just Price. him doing what he does best. He's the best thing in the majority of the films that he stars yeah. in. And this is no exception. Uh, so, next category is The Final Girl. So, we've got Mystery of the Wax Museum, Florence. Faye Ray as Charlotte. <laughs> She's in the next category. Uh, House oh. of Wax 3D is Phyllis Kirk as Sue. And 2005 is Alicia Cuthbert as Carly. Oh, Faye Ray was barely in it. Uh, technically, she was the final girl. Yeah, I was shocked because she was barely in the film. I mean, she did a good enough job of what she had. But again, she wasn't very memorable. No. And I liked Sue. Sue was nice. Sue, yeah. I, I like that Sue. Sue... I mean, you're not going to get a lot of strong female characters back in the day. But I think she did great at what she had. She was... Uh, you know, yeah, she, used she her did intuition. her investigation. She, yeah. she used her intuition. She had to be saved by men, though. Let, let Sadly. Go. Yeah, which is a bit... She was a bit of the damsel in distress by the end, which I didn't like. Yeah. Um, well, whereas... Uh, Alicia Cuthbert, she was a strong, strong one at yeah. the end. Yeah, she was a strong female yeah, character. Props to her. Um, Chad Michael, whatever. <laughs> Performance-wise, I'd, I'd want to give it to uh, Phyllis Kirk. Mm. But character-wise, I want to give it to Carly. Yeah. Um, I'll just give it to Carly. Yeah. Yeah. So, Blonde <laughs> Friend... <laughs> I'm sh- I'm sure she won't lose any sleep. <laughs> Blonde friend, Blonde Lina. friend of Florence. Glenda Farrell as Florence. Yeah. <laughs> House of Wax 3D. Carolyn Jones as Kathy. No, she's barely in it. And 2005 Paris Hilton as Paige. Oh bless her, she can't act. Um, and she yeah. was barely in it as well. Florence. To do. You know, Florence was better than the actual film. Um, so, <laughs> do you know what? If you'd taken the character of Florence, and I'm, sh- I think she's the kind of character that you see throughout a lot of films during the time. Um, but her one-liners and the comedy and, um, the acting involved, the comedic mm. acting was, on top form. Yeah. Uh, I think if you'd put her in in another film, we'd be saying how amazing that film was and how. Yeah amazing she was it, it was a little out of place um but it was still great and yeah i'd give give it to her and then we have the final girl's boyfriend uh in mystery of the hat of the, uh, the, the the mystery of the wax museum is alan vincent as ralph house of wax 3d it was paul Pisserni as scott and in 2005 it was jared padalecki as wade Okay, well, he's the first to go. Yeah, and Wade. He, his performance was jarringly bad. Yeah, but it wasn't great. Um, Scott, in 1953, didn't... I thought he was going to save the day. Yeah. And he didn't. He was... Shit. 
Yeah. So I'd have to go for 1933. Yeah. Whatever his name was. The only, uh, the only category 1933 has won. And of course you had Chad Malcolm Murray. Um, you had uh, Blake... And you had Dalton, who was played by the guy from Scary Movie, played Bobby in Scary Movie. Um, it's hard to mention because there's nothing really to compare him to. Have... My thing with Chad Michael Murray is that he was obviously seen as a little bit of a good guy, mm. heartthrob, uh, before. And this was maybe him trying to break away from that, yeah. uh, from the Cinderella story or the Freaky Friday. Yeah. Um, but it didn't quite work. No. He, he, you know, it's not the Chad Michael Murray I remember. Uh, so, overall, I think we can both agree that the best out of the three is indeed House of Wax 3D. House of Wax 3D. It was my favourite, and I, I would re- recommend watching it. Um, it, it. If you like Vincent Price, you probably already should have watched it yeah. by now. Like, you know, like it, we probably should have watched it before yeah. <laughs> this podcast. I mean, you, you owned it for ages. It's true. We never got it's around true. to watching it. It's fun. If you like that kind of horror film, that William Castle style... Camp. Camp. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Even if you want to see, you know, Free Huns, uh, the Free 1950s Huns. edition of Atomic Kitten going around a wax museum, checking out dicks and uh, fainting... I mean, what well, I don't know what else I can say to convince you. <laughs> uh, so yes, House of Wax 3D, but don't miss out on the other two. Watch the other two as well. Oh Freakish yeah, just films. watch them all. Yeah, yeah, you might as well. And this brings us to the best and worst of the month. Would you like to go first? Yes. So I'm going to start with worst of the month because there's only two. Um, we didn't actually watch anything that bad. Ice Cream Man. Um. Well, I mean, to be honest, it's probably going to be the same for both of us on Best and Worst. Yeah, so Ice ice Cream Man, we couldn't finish. No, it was dreadful. And we just thought it was incredibly boring. So boring. It was meant to be a horror comedy. It wasn't Ooh, particularly funny. A slasher film about an ice cream man going around killing people. Nothing happened. It was yeah. fucking boring. And it had Olivia Hussey in it, which yeah. usually is a good thing, but it, it wasn't very Olivia good. Hussey. And I, I just wanted to say that my most disappointing was Mimic. Yeah. We did a Del Toro marathon and we were quite disappointed by Mimic, mm. weren't we? I didn't have no expectations of Mimic, no, I'd say I was more disappointed with Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak was very disappointing. Um, yeah. That should have been a lot better. It was really quite boring. I, w- I was bored yeah. through most of it. But going on to our best, speaking of Del Toro... Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. Now, Pan's Labyrinth is a 10 out of 10 film. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Fantastic. Wonderful imagery. Yeah, surprisingly violent. Um, it, it's a, a mashup of genres. Yeah, a great story. Really great acting. Um, quite sad in parts. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Probably the best, best Spanish film I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched Do the Right Thing. Yeah, that's my best for the month. I love Pan's Labyrinth, but Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing blew is me away. My favorite for the month. Oh, like I, I mean, like made it into my top thirty of all time. Like it just grabbed me immediately. Yeah, especially when you watch it this year of all years, it's so relevant. And like, it's incredible how a film can go from hilariously funny to touching. Yeah. Yeah. To you know, v- yeah, 
tear-jerking, seamlessly. I, I wish seamlessly. we watched this a little sooner, because if you want to do something for Black Lives Matter, but you don't know if... You don't know what you want to do. You know, anything can help towards it, but if you want to educate yourself and look at maybe culture from a different time, watch this film. Yeah, it, it's... Because it shows you how present these issues have always the been. The themes brought up are themes that have reoccurred yeah. this year. And this, this is a film from the 80s. And it resonates, you know, over 30 years later. Yeah. Jesus. Over 30 years later. Yeah. It still resonates and it's still admissible in my yeah. eyes. Absolutely. So that is our original versus remake threesome episode done. We will be back on Tuesday with a Halloween warm-up episode where we'll be talking about Halloween free season of The Witch. And seeing, seeing as you we love you all so much, we want to treat you to our voices some more, we'll be releasing double episodes every week in October, starting with October the 1st, a week today, where we'll be releasing the first of our Halloween bonus episodes talking about our top 10 favourite zombie movies. We are going to do Halloween properly this year. Yes. Yeah, I'm quite excited. Love a good zombie film. Do you know what I don't like? What? Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Well, that'll change, obviously. Once you <laughs> analyse it and realise how great it is. So, if you're on social media, tell us what you thought of House of Wax, whichever version. Uh, talk to us about anything you want. Uh, we are Horror Culture Server on Facebook and Instagram. Horror Culture on Twitter. If you listen on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Like and follow on Epic House. Follow us on Spotify. I am Gazmo205 on Instagram. GazCruise92 on Twitter. And DeadAtGaz92 on Letterboxd. I am ChrisBarker823 on Letterboxd, Twitter, and um, Instagram. And we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye.